Thank you, music team, and thank you, instrumentalists. Appreciate your ministry of music this morning. What a great focus with great as our praise to God. And this past Friday, we had a little program. The school did a program with the elementary students on the attitude of gratitude. And uh, what a tremendous message that is. Of course, this is the week of Thanksgiving, and so a lot of thought and concentration goes into what we're thankful for and just that tremendous spirit of praise. Research actually shows that if we spend the 15 minutes before bed writing down everything that we're thankful for, we will sleep better and sleep longer. And so if you're having trouble sleeping at night, maybe you should start journaling uh, some things that you're thankful for. Now, I did tell the group on Friday, I said, as some people in our church don't really have a whole hard time sleeping during the service. I think you're very <laughs> thankful people. And um, so I'm watching throughout this morning to see who the grateful people are. But let's take our Bible and turn to Romans 8. How many of you feel overwhelmed already by the holiday season? Anybody overwhelmed yet? Okay. And it's not even here yet. Come on, slow down, folks. It's coming. But uh, I know there's coming and going and there's to-do lists and things to, to, to get done. And uh, I hope that this will be a blessed week for you and that you'll find yourself to be refreshed studying God's word, giving praise to him, finding moments of quietness in your heart to express your thankfulness to him. So this is the last message of the Hijack series, looking at rescuing the truth. We've studied some really good topics that I've enjoyed studying out and presenting to you through God's word and the messages that he's given to us. This morning, we're going to finish it off before our Christmas series starts next week with the full picture of Christmas. But today, we're going to look at the topic of the Holy Spirit. In his book called Forgotten God, Francis Chan tackles this topic of the Holy Spirit and how it's been overlooked for so much from God's people, from Christians. His subtitle to the book, Forgotten God, is Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes this neglect comes from just a simple misunderstanding. Or maybe the neglect does come with a very purposeful intent to, to forget and to neglect it. But I think, honestly, that often this is done, this topic has been hijacked, it has been abused by so many people that we have become a little insecure and fearful to even talk about or to think about who and what the Holy Spirit is all about. And so this morning, when we look at this topic of the Holy Spirit, we look at what He represents and, and what it means and look at some of the topics of this. Now, I understand that the topic of the Holy Spirit is extensive in that it's from the very beginning, Genesis 1, and it goes all throughout the scriptures to the very end of the revelations. But I feel like in approaching a single message like this today on the topic of the Holy Spirit is like going to see the waters of the Niagara Falls and taking all of that water and trying to put it into the little water fountain in the church lobby. Because when you think about the mass information we have in God's word about the Holy Spirit and trying to just bring it down into a 30-minute message, that's a little bit overwhelming and mind-boggling. But I think the danger has happened with the Holy Spirit is that Christians too often have kind of cut and paste. They'll, they'll go into the scriptures and they'll cut a little bit of what they like about the Holy Spirit and they'll apply that and they'll eliminate other things that really don't want to be bothered with. And all of a sudden we get this book in our minds of, of what we think the Holy Spirit is, and we've really neglected the full picture and the full truth of the topic of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we're going to dig into Romans chapter 8, 
And we're going to see some things. Now, in your notes, if you've got notes today, uh, you're going to see that I've kind of given us some things to study on our own, uh, some things that you can look through with some of these introductory thoughts about the Holy Spirit and what is taught about who the Holy Spirit is and, uh, and what he has. And so those are some inter- introductory thoughts there in your notes for your own time. But in Romans chapter 8, look in verse number 5 with me. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So this morning we borrow from Francis Chan's title of his book, The Forgotten God, and let's dig into Romans 8 and see what God would have for us of application today. Would you pray with me? Father, we pause before you to extend our dependency on you as we so desperately want your spirit to lead the direction of our thoughts today. I pray that your message would come from above, remove any distractions that would cause us to, to, uh, to not be engaged with the word. Help us, Lord, to be willing to humble ourselves to apply the truth that we hear so that we can take steps of growth today. I thank you for a church that makes of great importance to worship you and to study your word to have the word of God given to us to apply. And so our ultimate aim and goal would be by the end of our time together that we become doers and action makers of what we hear instead of just being listeners and hearers of the word. And so we give this time of guidance to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting because in the first seven chapters of Romans, you're going to find that the Holy Spirit is only brought up one time. But when you get to chapter number 8, it's nearly 20 times that the word spirit or Holy Spirit is brought to our attention. It is important to remember that the Holy Spirit is the divine agent which creates, sustains, and preserves spiritual life in those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Let me say that again about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the divine agent which creates, sustains, and preserves the spiritual life in all believers. And so with the topic of the Holy Spirit, it is not one that can be easily neglected. It is one that cannot be abused. We cannot be insecure or fearful of talking or studying about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and is God in the spirit form. He is a divine agent of the spiritual life. And so this is of great importance. Now, if you've been a part of our study in the last week, um, 
from this pulpit, we have studied together Galatians, some of Ephesians, this week even coming to this topic of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked a lot about this flesh versus spirit and the battle that is within us. And we've also reassured us that when justification occurs, that justification is when we put our faith and trust, that is your salvation experience. And many of you in here have had that experience where Christ became your all in all, your savior, your Lord, and you've become a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. That's justification. When that occurs, the process of sanctification begins. So justification doesn't happen, and then sanctification, being set apart from the world, looking different from the unsaved, and becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. Justification doesn't happen, and sanctification gets put on a shelf and said, I'll come back to that in a few years. Because sanctification happens immediately. It is a process that is going to be engaged by the Holy Spirit, again, creating, uh, sustaining, and preserving the spiritual life of all believers So that Holy Spirit comes and takes part of that work inside us. So because Jesus Christ is the primary person of justification, the Holy Spirit is the primary person behind sanctification. And so we can no more sanctify ourselves than we could have justified ourselves. In our core values of belief, in our sound doctrine, the things that are important to us, We know that it is not by anything that we have done. God draws men to himself, engages with that grace. By faith and grace, we receive that gift of salvation. And so that was done on nothing on our part. He called us. He rescued us. He called us to himself. And so with that thought of justification, we also extend that to realize that it is no part of ourselves that gives us this progress of sanctification. A lot of good moral people located in this room today. But there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself to cause you to be set apart from the world. That's the active work of the Holy Spirit within you. So you know when you make wise decisions, that's not coming just based on experience or knowledge. That's coming because the Holy Spirit lives within you and is prompting you. When you're able to resist the devil and flee from him, and when you're able to to choose righteousness over sin, that is not you, that is the Holy Spirit working in you. So, in our text today, Paul is going to disclose the results of justification. He's writing to the Romans, and these are Christians. He's writing to an audience that would know exactly what he is speaking of with a life that has been justified and lives that are continuing being sanctified. So these are lived out in us by a marvelous, spirit-filled life. And this justification has given us the freedom to condemnation, verse number one, which we're not going to study, but verses one through four, we see this justification or this freedom from, from condemnation, but then we also see that it's going to give us this freedom from obligation. That's five, verse five through 11. I guess the sound booth's ready to go. Number one, the genuine change of our nature. Okay, here we go. Everybody's looking at it. So let's jump right in. The Holy Spirit is at work with us when we experience this genuine change of our nature. In verse number five, in God's eyes, there's only two kinds of people on earth. There's those who do not belong to him. Look at what it says. They that are after the flesh. And then there are those who belong to him or they that are after the spirit. Now, there were a few of you who were a part of our Wednesday night Bible study in here, and from that Bible study, just to reiterate, 
I think it's important for all of us to understand. The English term that we see flesh comes from a Greek term, which is sarx, S-A-R-X, and it means our, our uh, sinful nature. Our sinful nature, which is recorded all throughout here in this passage of verses 5 through 8, is that which is going to war against the Holy Spirit. Now remember, we were born with that sinful nature, and because we were born for that sinful nature, we have this sin-filled desire, this sin-filled aspect of our life that just comes very naturally. It happens from the time we were born. We watched it all the way with, with our children, and as they grow up, we can see that sinful nature at work in them. And then even as adults when teenagers in here today, we see that that sinful nature is always actively working, but the Holy Spirit is combating against that. Now, realize this, that the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, the the sinful nature or our flesh in this term here is going to be what had had no opposition for many, many years. The sinful nature had free reign over our minds and our hearts and over our control until the day justification happened when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his grace overwhelmed us and we received his free gift of salvation. Then the Holy Spirit took residence. And there's a new owner now, a new landlord, and that new owner, the Holy Spirit, is now going to give us this guidance, this spirit-filled life. Well, the sinful nature, the flesh, does not like that at all. And, and what ends up happening is, is we see this battle that we find. And, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 gives us the reminder about being renewed in the spirit of our mind, a continual action of something that needs to take place. Now remember, this is an inside battle, not an outside battle. What takes place on the inside is that this is going on between the flesh or the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer, and all of a sudden, the outward actions or the outward attitudes become clear evidence of who's winning on the inside. For instance, what is produced on the inside comes out in the character qualities on the outward It's like when you're unkind to somebody else. When you are deliberately unkind to somebody else, that is an inward battle that is taking place and an outward evidence that the sinful nature or the flesh is winning in that moment. But when you're able to bite your tongue and actually smile and give a gracious response and remember Ephesians 4 telling us that the hearers of our words to be given grace with our speech then that shows the inward battle is being won by the Holy Spirit's guidance. Think of another outward characteristic or an outward action that's going to be resembling of what's going on inside. How about the outburst of anger? So the outburst of anger is one that we would say, well, that's just my, that is my personality or that's how I grew up or that's what I'm always around. But in all actuality, that's just a crutch that you're hoping to find something else and someone else to blame. Because the reality is that an, is an outward quality, an outward resemblance of what is going on on the inside and how the flesh or the sinful nature is combating against the Holy Spirit's direction. And in that moment of outburst of anger, you've quenched the Holy Spirit and you're just riding the foottails. You're riding along with your sinful nature. There's stealing and lying or fornication any sexual sin or sexual immorality, 
Again, we're wanting to find something, whether it's our natural drive or it's our natural tendency or a strong, overwhelming temptation. And we are looking for as many scapegoats as we can because it can't always be my fault. It can't always be my problem. Like if if God didn't want me to do this, why was it in front of me? If, If God didn't want me to do this, why is that my environment? Why is that my world? Why is that my culture? And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, wow, this is not about everything else. This is about the outward evidence of what's going on on the inside and the sinful nature winning over the Holy Spirit-filled life. Maybe there's the acting on an addiction of some substance or maybe some other controlling factor. Our sinful nature has always been there. And when the Holy Spirit took residence, now there's beginning this war. And when we became followers of Christ... The Holy Spirit supernaturally entered us and began this renewal process. Jot it down, write it in your notes. Maybe it's already there, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Because that's where Paul is referring to this sinful nature versus the Holy Spirit and this competition between the old self and the new self. And sandwiched in between is the continual renewing of our mind. And so you may say, I renewed my mind 25 years ago and it was a great experience and I'm riding it through. That's just not reality. The renewing of your mind is a constant action on your part that you are looking for the Holy Spirit to work. That is walking in the Spirit. That is being guided by the Spirit. That is being filled by the Spirit. And that teaching is all throughout the New Testament. Everywhere you turn, you're like, wow, these pieces kind of connect and work together. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, who is winning in your life And that doesn't have to be a very deep question. The reality is the outside elements or the outside evidence that you exhibited this week. What kind of things did you say on social media? What kind of interaction did you have with your uh, spouse? How did you respond to your parents? Um, What were the actions you did in your school? What's your testimony at your workplace? These are all outward evidence of who is winning in your life. And then the other question is, are you satisfied with that? Like there's a lot of people who have been justified, who've been saved by grace. And they put the book of sanctification on the shelf and they have lived a carnal life. And they're okay with that. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 5 is going to teach us that if there is a continual habitual action of these sins consuming somebody's life, and they have no remorse, no regret, no contrite heart, and no conviction, then they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's not that they've lost something. They've not lost or walked away or given up on their salvation. Their Their salvation was never authentic and genuine to begin with. Now, there are moments where we wander away. There are times in a Christian's life of backsliding. There are times when we struggle, we stumble. But you know, in the midst of your struggles, the darkest moments of your struggles, there's a Holy Spirit convicting every step of the way. And sure, you're quenching. And sure, you're resisting. And you're saying, I know right for wrong, but I'm going to shut the closet door, put you away for a little while, Holy Spirit, so I can live the way I want. Flesh, sinful nature wins out. But you know what that conviction feels like. And so have you ever experienced that change? Are you ready to experience that change? We think of change. Change is like one of those 
denominators in the Christian life. It's, 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 it's a talking point of the Christian life, like changed into the image of Christ. Or we talk about change of actions, that's our behavior. Our change of attitude, that's how we process and express what we think. There's the change in our perspective, meaning that we're investing in eternity instead of setting our affections on the things here on earth. There's a change of ownership. No longer are we a slave to fear because we're a child of God. And we cannot forget that the agent of change is the Holy Spirit. So Christian, if you're not experiencing change... There's no Holy Spirit bringing that your way. And so really, the sentence needs to be rewound. I shouldn't say Christian, comma, if you're not experiencing change because it's friend, person, comma. If you're not experiencing change, there may not be a Holy Spirit indwelling you. And there may not be the gift of salvation or justification that has ever happened in your life. That's harsh reality. You're like, you don't understand backsliding, Pastor. You, you don't get it because you haven't lived it or you're not going through it or, or you haven't experienced it. Well, here's the reality. I'm as human as you are, and I have my ups and downs. And the truth is, is when I look at my 41 years of life, there have been some dark days and moments where I've wandered away. But I know that in those moments of walking away, that there was always a conviction in my heart that said, turn back. This is not right. This is not good. I will not give you true peace. You will not be happy. This is shallow. This is uh, limited. And this will not last. That's the testimony that we can give to how that looks. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, see it in your notes or see it on the screen. Paul wrote to the messy church in Corinth and he said, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So flee fornication... Every sin that a man does is without the body, or every man that does is, is, is on the outside, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. He says, what? Know ye not that your body, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? That your body, Christian, is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And because of it being the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, he says, which you have of God... And you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Both are God's. So we're reminded how Paul uses this Greek term here in, in this passage of pornea, referencing uh, a broad range of sexual sins. But this principle applies to more than just sexual misconduct. Because what he is referencing here is that our bodies belong to Jesus, to God. And we also have no right to be idle with our bodies, to be abusive to our bodies, or to be wasteful of our bodies, because it belongs to him. Any sin that we do is the outward evidence of the inward battle. And it is an either a result of the idleness with our body and abusiveness with our body. Or it may come down to the very fact that we're just being wasteful of the resource that God has given us. Any honest person will take better care of something that doesn't belong to him, right? So if you're borrowing somebody's car and you're driving it, they let you borrow it, and you're going to take really good care of it. So you're not going to eat your chicken biscuit on the morning uh, going to work because your chicken biscuit always makes crumbs all over the seat, 
And you're probably not going to get burritos on the way home and pop open the burrito with all the onion smell and make the car smell like B.O. You're just not going to do it. There's a lot of things that you're going to be very careful of. You're going to tell your kids, don't put your, don't put your shoes on the, on the back of the seats. Uh, don't drink that drink. And you're, you're being very careful because it's somebody else's that you're, that you're in control of at that moment. There's also maybe the example of using somebody's cell phone. With our own phone, you know, we, we, uh, we walk into the bedroom and we, we toss it onto the bed. Or uh, sitting on the couch and we get up fast and it falls and hits the ground. And we're like, ah, oh, brother, pick it up, throw it in our pocket. We're just very nonchalant with our own phones. But if somebody lets us use their phone, borrow their phone to make a phone call, you know, we're just very careful with it, right? It's like an $800 device these days. And so we, we use the phone. We're just very gentle with it. We don't throw it back to them. Uh, we don't, you know, drop kick it. Hey, let's see if you can catch it, right? You know, we just don't do things with other people's possessions. I mean, unless you're a total jerk, all right? So if you do something with my phone or car, I'm going to call you a total jerk, all right? Don't eat burritos in my car, Okay. Um, so honest people take better care of something that doesn't belong to them. And Paul is referencing this. Allow the Holy Spirit control to take good care of the outward elements and the outward actions that are going to come by the control of the inside. So as Paul clearly states in Romans 7, a true believer still battles with the flesh because of our sinful nature, and it still desperately hangs on and and tries to lure us back into our sinful ways. And that's why Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk, walk, walk in the Spirit, and ye will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now verse 11, wrapping up this first section, is that verse 11 sums up what has been declared in verses 5-10. through 10. So it's declaring that the Holy Spirit serves as the divine agent of Christ's resurrection. Look at verse number 11. But if the Spirit, Holy Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in you. So the same Spirit power that dwells in us is the same Spirit power that caused Jesus to come back to life from the grave. So in that case, the Holy Spirit gives the believer in Christ a new life and gives it to us forever. Cross-reference that to John 6, verse, 6, uh, verse 63. Well, secondly... If the Holy Spirit is at work in us, we're not only going to experience a complete, genuine change of our nature, but secondly, we're going to have the victory over our flesh. So Paul emphasizes the believer's responsibility to eliminate sin in his life, and we do that because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Some of us just aren't in the whole mortifying of the body with the Holy Spirit's power. But like, it's so much easier to just give in to the sinful nature. And so little things that come our way that seem like small temptations and small sins are going to be things that entice us and we excuse ourselves to go after them. Like all of us right now pinpointing in our seats, we can think of what those look like. We experienced them yesterday. Maybe some have even encountered them today. We're going to live through them this week. We're going to encounter them and they seem small, but the reality is, is that the outward elements and the outward actions are just going to be clear evidence of what is going on on the inside, where we are showing our love and loyalty. Remember, 
We started with this thought that the Holy Spirit is the divine agent which creates, sustains, and preserves the Spirit-filled life. So don't turn away from that and don't quench it. Because the Holy Spirit indwells every believer, our new spiritual life will not be defined by worldly, uh, fleshly concerns, but rather by the things of God. So how many Christians would you say are being defined by worldly, fleshly concerns and activities? Now we say, well, okay, I'm, I'm not the judge. Thankfully, we don't have to judge it. And there is evidence, by the fruit ye shall know them, but it causes us to pray, but it also humbles us because pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So often we look at others and say, Psh, they're a mess. And we're not willing to take five seconds to look in the mirror and say, whoa, that dude's a mess. Because the harsh reality is that we're feeble and without God's grace, we are worthless and nothing. And God takes us out of the miry clay and puts our feet on a rock and, and, and calls us to be free from condemnation and free from this obligation. And in verse number 12, he uses this word, therefore, and it helps us to see that because of this freedom of condemnation and obligation, we have this magnificent privilege of victory over sin, over the flesh. If we were just to say, well, the sinful nature is real, the flesh is there, we're born with it, we battle with it, and it's going to be there until the, the presence of sin is over, when the rapture takes place, and we're done, and we'll go to the judgment seat of Christ. So just hang on, because of that sinful nature, good luck, hope you can do it this week. I mean, if that's kind of our motivation thought, and that's, we're just like looking for eternity, man, the presence of sin will be no more, the power is gone... If that becomes our sole focus, we've really lost out on what God has already given us. Because of the Holy Spirit's work, he has given us the complete victory over our flesh. Remember what he wrote again to the church at Corinth, and he said that um, there's no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. So like your situation is not unique to yourself. That's what I love about counseling situations. So you sit down and you're like, well, tell me what's going on. What, what's really in your heart? Oh, well, pastor, it's, it's unique. It's very different. And though I'm not that experienced in ministry, only 20 years and have a, hopefully a long way to go, we have to remember that our situation just isn't that unique. Uh, unique to us, yes, and, and very personal to us. But the whole issue is that the verse reminds us there's no temptation taking you but such as common to man. And then it continues with the greatest part of that verse and says, God has made a way for you to escape. He's given you the victory. He wants you to win. He wants to cheer you on. He's given us the agent inside us that, that helps us to the victory. It's like the football team that gets on the field and they're going to easily win the game because their quarterback is so good. But they say, hey, why don't you just sit on the bench? Like, we'll just do this. Like, actually, just give us the punter, and he can fill your role every down, and we've got this. So, so often in our Christian life, we're eliminating the very element that's going to give us the victory because we say we can just do this on our own. And too many of our lives are full of a bunch of punters instead of the QB captain who's got the ability to lead us to victory. So the victory over the flesh, Paul is going to continue here. And he's going, to, uh, he's going to help us to be reminded of this incredible truth of the landlord or ownership that we are now under. 
And he wrapped it up even in Galatians 5, verse 17. He said, for the flesh, that's our sinful nature, lusteth against the spirit. Another word we must define. In the English language, lust is going to be like, oh, this, this sexual passion or sexual desire. But again, in original language, the word lust is going to be the word for these um, excessive desires. It's going to be a desire for anything that is not rightfully ours. It's going to be a desire for something that is not good or right for us to have. And by the way, that's where we always come to, even with a simple sin, if you want to call it that, as lying, that brings us to a place where we are excessively desiring something that we're not supposed to have by telling our lie. So I'll tell you that lie so you think better about me. Or I'll tell you that lie so it keeps me out of trouble. Or I'll, keep you, I'll tell you that lie because it makes me successful. And all of those results are being driven by a desire to have something that I'm not supposed to have at that moment. And I probably wouldn't have if I were to be honest. So whatever it is that the temptation you're facing, that lust or that desire, that, that ex- excessive desire against the flesh, and then he says the spirit is going against the flesh... And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And they, verse 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who is going to give us that guidance, the one who gives us change. He's the agent of change, and he is the one that is going to give us the victory. But understand that every part of your flesh or your sinful nature is the direct enemy of the Spirit. What verse was that? I didn't mark it, but the word enmity was right in there. In verse number 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It doesn't say that the carnal mind is a result of an enemy against God. It says that our carnal mind, our flesh, our sinful nature is the direct enemy against God. Now, if you're here today and this whole thought, we've used a lot of what we would say Christianese language today. I get that. Holy Spirit. What's Holy Spirit? You saw the word ghost in one of the verses. We're talking like flesh, and you're like flesh. We're calling it sinful nature, lust, and it's really our desires. And so I don't want you to, to get lost in the conversation today. Because the truth is, is that the whole premise of today's message is talking about changed lives. And you're sitting amongst lives that have been changed, and some so drastically. Like when I got saved when I was five, you know, I was saved from, from stealing pencils and chewing on erasers and picking my nose. Like that's the, the sins that I was saved from as a five-year-old. Now, I don't chew on erasers anymore. I'm working on the other two, okay? But... <laughs> But some of the lies in here, I was saved from a life of sin that I was potentially going to live out. But many in here were saved from a life that they were in sin and a life that was so drastically changed. I wish, you, I wish we had the time for the stories because some people would pop up and, and, and probably with great emotion and tears in their eyes, they would tell their story of a life that was an enemy, enemy against God, a life that was so carnal and going in a self Filled direction until Jesus saved them. 
And they would tell you of an experience in their life where they went from being controlled by sinful nature to being filled by a Holy Spirit who then began to help them to grow. Not to perfection, because our lives are like this. We're, we're just a bunch of fickle friends just trying to make it every day. We're up and we're down. But the reality is, is deep down inside us, we have this passion to live for God and to be more resembling of his son, Jesus Christ. And we want to live like Jesus. We want to love like Jesus. And we want to be kind like Jesus. And we want to deal with people like Jesus. And so we've got to look to see, how do I do that? Oh, I walk in the Spirit. Oh, yeah, I need to be filled by the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? Well, that comes by putting God's word in our heart and in our life and abstaining from things that are going to draw us away from him and taking very purposeful, intentional steps to be like Jesus. So if you're here today and you've never experienced what many have experienced in here before, and that is a time in your life where you realize you personally, like you are a sinner. I had to come to that place. I have no doubt I'm a sinner. And when you come to that place of accepting the fact that you are a sinner and in need of a savior, that without Jesus in your life, the only way of truth and life that can come and transform you, until you come to that place, you're trying to do life on your own. And what'll happen is your life will end here on earth. And when this short moment of life is over, as James calls it, like a vapor that's here and gone, then you have all of eternity still. So where will you spend all of eternity? Will you spend eternity in a place called heaven where we will rejoice and worship and live with our Savior? Or will you be in utter torments with fire and pain and desperation in a place called hell? This is not some fanatic belief. This is just absolute truth that has been documented and recorded and told and taught. And we pass that word to you today. To the Christians all across this room what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to control you? The Holy Spirit leads you, prompts you, directs you. The Holy Spirit kind of coincides with what we studied last week with worship. You know, when you're singing and you're engaged in the music and there's some goosebumps that are going on and it's not because the air conditioning's cold and it's not because somebody just took their fingernails down the chalkboard. Like the goosebumps are there because you're realizing the truth that you're singing, the truth that you're engaged with has changed you and you're thankful, you're worshipful, you're praising. That's the reminder that the Holy Spirit is giving you. Remember, your body, your mind, your soul, you are not your own. You've been bought with that price, and you have crucified yourself to the flesh. You have crucified yourself from sin, and now you have this victory to follow after God, and that comes through the agent of change called the Holy Spirit. You know what's scary, though, about the Holy Spirit? Is that he works in us all the time, constantly at work. And sometimes that Holy Spirit wants to stretch us. Sometimes he wants to push us into uncomfortable places. Sometimes he wants to help us take steps of faith or boldness and, and wisdom. And, and, and sometimes we're like, whoa, this is more than I, I signed up for. I close with a story about Thomas Young. Thomas was a, a chef and co-owner of an extremely nice and expensive steakhouse. The restaurant was a great success and was doing so well. It really had far exceeded all the expectations that had been put. 
In another three years, Thomas would easily receive back not only his initial investment, but huge bonuses on top of that. The only problem was that God was calling him away from the restaurant immediately, not in three years. Thomas surprised his business partners by giving up all of the money in order to pursue the ministry that God was calling him to. Thomas left the fancy restaurant and took a position at the local rescue mission. He now cooks for the homeless and the recovering addicts and others who are seeking to rebuild their lives. He uses his training in the culinary arts to teach the homeless how to cook. He then helps them to find jobs in the community to be cooks at the local restaurants. And Thomas and his wife, Jen, they're a young couple, but they're spirit-filled and spirit-led. They believe that God will soon call them overseas. But until that day comes, they seek daily just to follow as the Spirit leads. Let's not be known for our talents and our intellect while forgetting the most important part of who we are. And that's the Holy Spirit's supernatural power working within us and constantly leading us. Christians, we must live a life that is being filled by the forgotten God. And when we do, we're going to see some incredible results, not because of us, but all because of him. To God be that glory.